You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. Give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We go fly. Guidance. Guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Telmuse. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good! And all, I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Well, what a fine time we have been having around here. So very glad to have you back with us again this week. And let me just tell you a few of the things that have happened here uh, since we last spoke together. Well, first of all, the mailroom has been going crazy. We have been getting letters, messages, notes, private messages on social media, 
emails and physical deliveries here at the Now You Know Show. And I want to take a just a few moments to shout out to everyone and say thank you so much if you've taken the time to write to us this week or to send us a, a PM or to tweet about us or to put something up there on social media, on Facebook or wherever about the Now You Know Show. Thank you so very much. We also got some lovely packages uh, in the mail this week, and uh, we want to thank everyone who sent those in. We're going to be doing a shout-out about that later. Can't give it away now because I would be breaking someone else's rice bowl. There's your hint, by the way, uh, if I did. But we will be talking about that a little later on in the show. Also, this has been the week of the $2 bill. So apparently this is the week that every $2 bill uh, that was near Professor Porterfield decided to come to Professor Porterfield and be in Professor Porterfield's pocket. So we want to thank the universe and whatever out there is causing all those $2 bills to come to us. We love them. We love them. It's great to have all that. So... That just means that there's going to have to be some serious $2 bill work going on. Or Porterfield will just put a rubber band around them all and go down to the track. Well, actually, Professor Porterfield would have to go over to the track. I would actually have to go east and cross into Louisiana to go to the track. Uh, but, you know, it, I, if that's what it takes. It's been done before. I don't have a bookie anymore. I used to have a bookie years and years ago. Um, don't have a bookie anymore. Uh, if you don't have a bookie, uh, you might need a bookie. So think about getting one. You never know. So that's just a little bit of what's been going on here, as well as the normal Texas uh, quote unquote uh, weather, spring weather. This is where it's 76, 80 degrees one day, 60 degrees the next day, um, 71 degrees in the evening one day, 39 degrees in the evening the next day, with uh, thunderstorms and rain and strange wind. Not to be beat, though, Michigan decided to way beat everybody's ass on strange wind. And uh, if you're in the chat room right now, uh, our own dear Miss Aida is there right now. Oh, yes. And uh, so uh, talk to her about strange Michigan winds. Uh, she knows all about it. They picked her up and threw her around. Well, at least threw her down. But we hear that she's fine, and she didn't get harmed being thrown down by the wind. And so we're so glad that she's doing well. Hi, Miss Aida. Glad you're with us and safe after having been thrown down, folks, thrown down by the wind. Well, that's our little bit of news. Uh, and so now we're going to go over to the official news with your friend and mine, that patriot, that, uh, that figurehead of the American radio news industry, the one the only patchy fog take it away patchy good evening 
This is Philip Fogg, reading the news. Today is Thursday, March 2017. There are 11 days until spring begins and 297 days left in the year. Daylight saving time for 2017 will begin this coming weekend at 2 a.m. on Sunday, March 12th. Remember to set your clocks one hour ahead. March 12th will also be the full worm moon. The 10th and the 11th will be auspicious days to cut firewood, mow to increase growth, dig holes, wax floors, and kill plant pests. For gardening, the 8th through the 12th is a most barren period. This period is best for killing plant pests or doing chores around the farm or garden. Finally, the 10th and the 11th will be good days for morning fishing. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1841, when the United States Supreme Court in United States versus the Armstad ruled in favor of a group of Africans captured by U.S. authorities after they had seized control of a Spanish schooner, La Armistad, that was transporting them to a life of slavery in Cuba. The justices ruled seven to one that the Africans had been illegally enslaved and should be set free. Also on this date, in 1862, during the Civil War, the ironclads USS Monitor and CSS Virginia, formerly the USS Merrimack, clashed for five hours to a draw at Hampton Roads, Virginia. In 1907, Indiana's General Assembly passed America's first involuntary sterilization law aimed at, quote, confirmed criminals, idiots, imbeciles, and racists, excuse me, rapists, end quote, in state custody. This law was struck down in 1921 by the Indiana Supreme Court, but a new law passed in 1927 was not repealed until 1974. In 1916, more than 400 Mexican raiders, led by Pancho Villa, attacked Columbus, New Mexico, killing 18 Americans. And during the First World War, Germany declared war on Portugal. In 1933, Congress, called into special session by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, began its 100 days of enacting New Deal legislation. In 1954, CBS newsman Edward R. Murrow critically reviewed Wisconsin Senator Joseph R. McCarthy's anti-communism campaign on the See It Now show. In 1964, the U.S. Supreme Court in the New York Times Company v. Sullivan 
raised the standard for public officials to prove they'd been libeled in their official capacity by news organizations. In 1987, the Chrysler Corporation announced it had agreed to buy the financially ailing American Motors Corporation. And finally, in 1997, rapper Notorious B.I.G. was killed in a still unsolved drive-by shooting in Los Angeles. He was 24 years old. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to... Singer-actress Keely Smith, who is 89 today. Lloyd Prince is 84. Actress Joyce Van Patten is 83. Actress Trish Vanderveer is 76. Singer Mark Lindsay of Paul Revere and the Raiders is 75. Rock musician Robin Trower is 72. Musician Jimmy Fadden of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band is 69. And we wish to send out special air birthday greetings to air member Apollo Dark, whose birthday was on the 1st, and Aunt Cindy Toto, whose birthday was on the 6th. Happy birthday to each and every one of you. Our thought for the day comes from Karl Barth, Swiss theologian, born 1886, died 1966, who said, Conscience is the perfect interpreter of life. This has been the news from the LMC Radio News Desk, and we now turn you back to Professor Porterfield and... The Lucky Numbers. Lucky number. Oh, dreaming of lucky numbers. Hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition. Or even make me suspicious. Table with 13 dishes. It will make me that's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, okay. Put my trust in good for dust. Cause you know someday it may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that you see in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, but you need not just trust in goofer dust as advised by the Nicholas Brothers because... We have got the number and cards for you here each and every week. This week's lucky numbers come to us from ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on over there and take a look? And they are 4, 13, 17, 23, 2, and 37. Once again, those lucky numbers are 4, 13, 17, 23, 32, and 37. And I have to take a minute to tell you a little bit about these numbers. First of all, 13 is lucky right now. I know you're saying, oh, 13 can never be lucky. 13's always bad luck. It's terrible, terrible. Well, no, actually, 13 can be used for luck. There is an entire concept called unlucky for lucky, so or unlucky as lucky. And le- 13 is lucky right 
now. 13 will continue to be lucky throughout the week. It will start to slack off around Tuesday morning through Tuesday evening. Wednesday, it won't be quite as lucky. And by next Thursday, it'll be gone. There also, it has been pointed out in the chat room, there are a lot of threes this week, and there are, and we're going to come up to that here in a minute. But amidst all those threes, I have to tell you that four is particularly lucky this week. So be on the lookout for that four and that 13. It's, it's rolling around out there. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are one, three, one. That's 131. 337, that's 337. And 415, that's 415. I have to tell you that 337 is a very good number throughout the whole week. 415 is very hot right now, but we'll start to slack off around Monday when 131 will start to take preeminence and be lucky all the way into next week. The card of the week is the Eight of Diamonds, a windfall, unexpected money, help or financial aid, plan now. This is a week for unforeseen gains and monies, a good week to make a small risk in gambling, but be careful to know when to walk away from the table or the track and count your winnings. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show for all the numbers and cards when they first come out, and if you hit, (laughs) remember where you get. Until then, good luck to you all. Up next, all the way from the first and second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, our own dear Miss Loretta with Cooking with Miss Loretta. Miss Loretta Martin thought she was a woman, but she was another man. All the girls around her say she's got it coming, but she gets it while she can. And I'm so happy to be with you here again for cooking with Miss Loretta. Tonight, before we get to the recipe, I have to stop for a moment and thank someone. I was just so thrilled and so tickled this week when in the mail, uh, Professor Porterfield brought in a package that had been sent just full of things, full of books for him and books for me. And tonight's recipe, ladies and gentlemen, is to you by Miss Aida. And thank you so much, Miss Aida. Uh, That's Miss Aida of the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers. Why not go over there to the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers at readersandrootworkers.org and take a look. She sent us two two beautiful books here. 
The first one is Crock-Pot, the original slow cooker, recipe cards, 76 cards to save and share. And I have to tell you, each one of these is each page has two cards on it the size of a recipe card. And you can tear them out and put them into your own little recipe box with the rest of your recipe cards, your three-by-five cards, and they're just perfect. And there are just so many good-looking recipes in here. There's one here for autumn chicken that I just want to try and I haven't had a chance yet. And the other beautiful book that she sent to us is the Better Homes and Gardens Crockery Cooker Cook Book from 1976. So this is the Better Homes and Gardens Crockery Cooker Cookbook. See, I said that, from 1976, and that's where our recipe comes from tonight because I, we got this in yesterday, and I was able to, I, I literally grabbed this stuff up and I ran out, but we were supposed to be having a meeting, and I said, no, i got to go, because uh, <laughs> I needed enough time to cook something out of this wonderful book. Uh, so that I could, you know, bring it to you. So this is from the 1976 Better Homes and Gardens Crockery Cooker Cookbook, Corned Beef in Beer. And I cooked it last night, and I and my husband really enjoyed it. So here it is, Corned Beef in Beer. For this, you will need the following ingredients. Six medium potatoes, peeled and quartered, or you can have them, but it, they do get better if you quarter them. Three medium onions, peeled and quartered, one cup of thinly sliced carrots, and one three to four pound corned beef brisket. And then finally, one to two cups of beer. Let me just tell you, Right here, okay, you are not going to want to use some sort of weird beer for this, okay? Do not use, don't use a light beer or something like that. Use a good beer. Use a beer you like. Don't be afraid of it. Just go and get yourself a nice beer that you might enjoy, or if you don't drink beer, then just get a, a you know just get a decent beer. Don't don't be looking to use light beer or you know uh, less calories is or less alcohol that. And what you're going to do is you will place your potatoes, onions, and carrots into your crock pot. Then trim off the excess fat from your corned beef. Now, let me explain that. When you get a corned beef, sometimes what you will find is there's a very fatty side, and then the other side isn't fatty. I'm not telling you to trim that fat off. I'm telling you to trim off any fat that might be on the ends or might be on the non-fat side. You want that fat side of the corned beef for flavor. So when I say trim off excess, I don't, I'm not talking about that. So don't get confused. Once that's done... Place it on top of your vegetables, and then where I buy my corned beef, it comes with a little packet of spices. 
and there are a variety of little things in there. Just cut open your little packet, sprinkle it in, and then pour beer over all. Cover it and cook on low for 9 to 10 hours or on a high for four and a half to five hours. And when it's all said and done, you're going to take out your corned beef and put it aside on a dish, a serving dish to rest, okay? And then once you've done that, take out your vegetables with a slotted spoon and slice the corned beef once it's rested for about 10 to 15 minutes or, or, you know, less if you're not too concerned about it. Slice the corned beef thinly across the grain and serve with the vegetables. This makes about six servings. And I like to serve this. this we had this last night, and I served this last night with brown mustard and dill pickles. And we had a delicious meal, and I hope that you and your family enjoy it as much as I and mine did. And thank you so much, Miss Aida. Thank you, sweetie, for sending in those books. We're going to do lots more recipes from them. So that's all from me, and we're going to send you back to Professor Porterfield and the pontification. Bye-bye. Hey. All right. Thank you, Miss Aida, for sending in uh, contributions to the show. That's what I was talking about earlier. I couldn't say it earlier because that would have spoiled Miss Loretta's getting to say it. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week, we're going to be talking about generations. Generations. Exactly how does your grandma and my grandma get along? So this week, instead of burning hats, maybe we'll actually burn some flags. My grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. My grandma told your grandma, I'm gonna set your flag on fire. You're talking about henna, henna, henna. I go, I go, I need. Jagamo fino, anane. Jagamo finane. Look at my king, all dressed in red. I go, I go, I need. I bet you five dollars he'll kill you dead.
talking about henna, 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 Aiko, Aiko, Ande, Sagamo, Fino, Anane, Sagamo, Finane, Sagamo, Finane. Oh, yes, and that was, of course, Aiko Aiko by the Cups and the Hamantaschen. Oh, yes, tonight we're giving out Hamantaschen. The Hamantaschen goes to our own Miss Cat, who got it really, really fast. I mean, she got it, she got it so fast. Uh, we were watching here. And uh, I can't describe to you exactly how fast it, it happened that she got the song. Um, so instead, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, my good friend who's uh, sitting in tonight in the back. Sometimes we have people in the studio with us. And uh, my good friend here, uh, Matt Daxon, uh, uh, otherwise known as the da- Danson Daxon. You may remember him from uh, – uh, World Wrestling Federation and uh, Matt Daxon is going to tell you exactly how it went down. Matt, Danson Daxon, tell us a little about it. Well, brother, let me tell you what happened. This music started. Everybody ran up to the ring. They were there. They were ready. They were sitting in their corners, but brother, they were not ready for the one, the only cat, Ironwood. She came out of nowhere, grabbed that song, threw it down on the mat, pounded it right there. Her response went up into that chat room so fast, brother. Let me tell you, you would have gotten a nosebleed if you hadn't been hanging on. Can you smell what was cooking in the kitchen tonight? Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was Miss Cat with the song answer. And she got one of them great little Jewish hamantashans. I've been eating about 60 of them back here, brother, and they're delicious. Oh, okay. Thanks, Matt. I was actually expecting him to do it like normal. I didn't think he was going to do that. Ho, ho, ho. Anyway, uh, Matt the Dancing Daxon. Uh, Ico Ico, as you may know, uh, is a, a much-covered New Orleans song uh, that tells of a parade collision between two tribes of Mardi Gras, quote-unquote, Indians or Mardi Gras crews. Uh, and uh, it was originally written and released as a single uh, by Sugar Boy and his cane cutters in 1953. Uh, and then it was just called Giacomo, uh, but it didn't make the charts. But later in 1965, uh, the female pop group, the Dixie Cups, uh, did a cover of it, and it was a huge international hit. Uh, And uh, uh, in 1967, as part of a lawsuit uh, between uh, Sugar Boy James Crawford and the Dixie Cups, the Dixie Cups were given uh, part songwriting credit to the song. So there you go. Uh, That's a little bit about that. Welcome once again to the professor's pontification and this week we're going to be talking about generations or how does your grandma and my grandma uh, get along so I should probably say right here at the beginning um, that some people uh, are not going to like this I'm not sure exactly who they are, uh, to tell you the truth. 
I, I, I'm not sure exactly who's not going to like this, but I'm pretty sure uh, that this is going to cause a mess. Uh, because we've talked about this before, pussyfoot around anything here on the Now You Know show, but we didn't quite get into it as much as we are tonight. So that's why that. And tonight, in fact, we probably will be burning more flags than hats, but we'll come to that. There is a lot of talk, and let me just say that this talk is increasing, ever, 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 ever increasing, about the, quote, ancestors. Very few people divide it up into any different term. Very few people say, my ancestors, your ancestors, uh, these ancestors, those ancestors. Generally, the term you hear used is simply the. That would be capital T. The ancestors, capital A. Okay? The ancestors. And there's always been some talk about this uh, within the hoodoo root work and conjure community. To say otherwise would be ridiculous. But that discussion has grown. And grown, and grown, and grown. And like anything in the world, when something positive comes along, when something positive becomes more towards the fore, and more and more people talk about it, inevitably, it starts to also spawn some negativity. As my old rabbi used to say, the brighter the light, the deeper the shadow. And this is just a a kind of truth in life. No matter what we do, the wider the discussion, the more people involved, the more popularized it comes, the more potential for profit or for, uh, oh, whatever it is, whatever topic it is, to be used as an axe for any number of people to grind – the more problematic it becomes. And these two things go hand in hand. And over the last few, oh, five, six years, I've watched this happen with the term the ancestors. We're getting to a point now where it's becoming a bit of a confusing term. And it's starting to be used as a hammer. In other words, Group A is using the ancestors, quote-unquote, against group B. And it's used in a variety of ways. The first is in a personal way. My ancestors wouldn't like you, so go fuck yourself. Then we have some appropriationist nonsense where somebody says, your ancestors would totally be okay with me. Okay, so this is kids on the schoolyard, right? Uh, You know, just, this is like a verbal fight. My dad can beat up your dad. All right? Except, Now what's being said is, my dad can beat up your dad, and the other kid says, uh, my dad would totally make peace with your dad and be okay with my dad. (laughs) Then, eventually, group C comes in, and group C says, the good old-fashioned schoolyard taunt, my dad can beat up your dad, back to group A. And so group A says, my ancestors would have hated you, your people, or don't like your people, or my ancestors can beat the shit out of you or your practices, whatever. And group C says, no, my ancestors can beat the shit out of you. 
and your practices and my ancestors are better than your ancestors. And so now this literally becomes the two kids arguing, uh, my dad can beat up your dad. Okay. Uh, and they, they, and people go at it. So before we go any further, I have to make an admission. And some of you know this about me already. But I have to say a little truth about myself here, something a little self-revelatory. This talk about ancestors, when it gets to the point where people start talking about how their ancestors are so glorious and so right and so correct and so much better than somebody else's ancestors or other group or just in general, my ancestors are superior, and we who are descended of them are the superior people, and we are the great people because we come from our line and our bloodline and the purity of our line that runs in our blood, that flowers our hearts and feeds our minds, that drives us forward, forward into history and destiny so that we know we are the true people. Yeah, that's what that sounds like to me. Oh, yeah. No, no, really, seriously. That's what that fucking starts sounding like to me. And my little Jewish butt looks for a fucking place to fucking hide. Okay? I mean, I really start looking for rocks to hide behind and, like, uh, you know, bushes to get behind and and, you know, uh, 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 groves of trees to run into. I mean, seriously, that shit starts sounding like that to me. And I don't give a fuck who says it. Like, you don't have to be a bunch of white Aryan assholes. I mean, give me wrong. If you're a bunch of white Aryan assholes, you breathe wrong. I'm, I'm the guy going, what? 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 And you go, oh, nothing. I just got a little thing in the back of my throat. And I go, what, what, do, you, what do you mean a thing in the back of your throat? What sort of thing? With like a gun? Like, what, why are you standing behind me? Okay. So I'm already watching those fuckers, but I don't care. Like, you can be like Mandarin Chinese and start talking about how the Mandarins fucking rule everything and the destiny of the Chinese people is to, and I'm, I got to bounce. I'm gone. Okay. I don't care. Like, if you're Bulgarian and you start talking, no, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. And just in case you think that, like, this is just a Jewish Aryan thing, oh, no. No, no. When Polish people start talking about how great and wonderful and pure and excellent the Poles are and their great history and how they should have done this and they should have crushed that and how someday they're going to – oh, I'm gone. I mean I'm fucking gone. I mean I got to bounce. I'm out of there, okay? So I, I don't give a shit. And I'm not talking about ancestral pride. I'm not talking about saying I'm proud of my ancestors. My ancestors did great things. My ancestors discovered great truths. My ancestors invented fantastic uh, 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 te uh, technology, literature, poetry. My ancestors created beautiful art. My ancestors were beautiful people, or my ancestors, you know, made wonderful food, or my ancestors, you know, even even a little of, you know, my ancestors were a fearsome martial people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about pride. And I'm certainly not talking about demanding acknowledgement of accomplishment when other people are like, well, your ancestors never did shit. 
okay, or they want to hide it or they want to lie about it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this thing over here where it becomes, and we are the superior people, and we are the great people, and the other people never did anything, and the other people are beneath us, and the other people are lesser, and we are the great people who will bring in the great age and the great thought and the great this and the great that, and it is our destiny and it is our heritage and it is in our blood and it is in our ancestral homeland and in our veins. And when you say that, I'm sorry, all the fuck I hear is blood and bund. Blood und bund. Blood und brun. That's all I hear. Blood and earth. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to go. I mean, I got to go. And that's part of the problem we have is that along the line, this stopped. I'm not talking about for everyone. I'm not talking about everywhere. I'm talking about as I started at the beginning here. Whenever you start talking about this, anything, long enough, some bad shit starts showing up. It doesn't matter what you can talk about puppies long enough, and pretty soon people start bringing in terrible shit about puppies somehow. Okay? But we have started to see this more and more. Again, not from everyone. This is not a big blanket I'm trying to throw over everybody. We've started hearing more and more about how this group of ancestors or that group of ancestors makes you better. Or at least makes that group that doesn't have the ancestral background worse. And this gets played out all sorts of different ways. Okay, There's a lot of radical thought here, not limited to people suddenly jumping up and going, well, the Irish had it pretty tough too, you know. That's right, you bastard. What about the Irish? And it's like, okay, well, no. I mean, I'm not trying to put the Irish down. I'm not trying to say the Irish are lesser people. But when you start trying to say that the Irish had it worse, okay, when you start trying to engage in ahistorical revisionism for the glory of your ancestors, I got to go. I got to bounce. I got to get out of here because I know how this fucking goes, okay? This goes really, really bad and ends up with some, you know, very elegantly made uniforms normally by someone, you know, high up in fashion like Hugo Boss and some really catchy looking flags with, you know, really solid fucking primary colors on them and really clear, crisp images and a lot of people following some demented asshole uh, to the destruction of, you know, millions and millions and millions of people. So I got to go when that shit starts, when that talk starts. And yet, recently, we've seen a lot of people clashing about ancestors. Now, here's my next problem, okay, uh, with this, this problem with uh, the ancestors. It seems like originally, when I heard people first talking about this, which doesn't mean they were first talking about it. It means when I first heard people talking about this when I first heard it five, six years ago when it first came into my consciousness not when people first started talking about it it's been talking about forever and ever it seemed like uh, the quote ancestors was a very broad group it was a very, very broad group it was a very, very broad group Uh, it included everyone that you had come from it meant thousands and thousands of people Uh, it, it it switched back and went back you know, 
uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years and encompassed uh, a huge amount of people and a huge number of cultures. And it was very inclusive. It was about, in a way, it was about your experience. You, the individual, were a living extension, a living proof, a living, almost a piece of art of the work of all the generations that had come before you. Whether you loved them or whether you hated them, whether you knew them or whether you didn't know them, you were physically in the world because of them, and that was a connection. You were the a link in a vast and important work or chain, if you will, although people have a kind of negative association with chains. wonder why. And so but that's that's what it was. Nowadays, the way people talk about ancestors, the quote the capital T end quote the ancestors, it only seems to be uh, four or five generations at most. It's only the immediate ancestors. Now I can totally understand why these are ancestors you know of. These are ancestors you can, if you didn't have literal physical contact with, it's easy to find out. You know, I mean, I mean, like listen. It can be hard for some of us to research our ancestors, uh, and for others of us, it's not that hard because of the people, the names, whatever, the databases. This grows every year. It gets easier and easier as, as online databases get bigger and bigger and bigger through collective operation because everybody that adds in helps. And you also start finding out you have a lot more cousins than you knew. Uh, but the point being is that I understand why. It's easy. Like, okay, there are those four generations. I get that. And certainly, with people you know, you have a lot deeper feeling, meaning you're more likely to love or hate. I love my grandfather. My grandfather, I mean, I love my grandfather. I, I can't tell you how much I love and revere and honor my grandfather. Absolutely, without question. He was heroic in my eyes. Okay, to be kind of honest, even when you listen to the stories about my grandfather kind of sideways, like, you know, as a, as a non-biological or non-family member, he was kind of a bigger-than-life kind of dude. But the point is, it's easy for me to love him or honor him. Equally, if he were a terrible individual that I had known and he had only made me suffer, it would be easier for me to hate him or despise him. But it seems like this talk of ancestors is getting real limited. You know what I'm saying? It's just four or five generations. What about all the rest? And what about all the people that don't know? See, I got a really ugly kind of tickle in the back of my fucking brain about this one, folks. I got to be honest with you. A, I'm starting to hear more and more about how Group A, Group B, and Group C's ancestors are better than Group M, L, Q, and R, and Group M, L, and Q, and R are saying their ancestors are and a lot of that talk. Then, then two, next, next up, Roman numeral two, I'm starting to hear kind of talk about how, like, people, people who, who don't have a direct connection to their ancestors are kind of lesser people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, oh, you don't have connection to your ancestors, therefore you're lost, or you're not as powerful, or you're not as potent, or you're not as invigorated, or you don't know 
what's going on with your, your place in the world, okay? And uh-oh, that really starts to bug me because now this is starting to sound like uh, I have a connection to a heritage, and because you don't, uh, you're the lesser I'm going to eliminate. Like, uh-oh, here's more of this fucking elimination of certain people. What about all the motherfucking adopted people in the world? There are a lot of them. There are a lot of adopted people in the world. And this is personal for me. I'm going to admit this is incredibly personal for me. What about my mama? My mother's fucking adopted. You going to fucking get up in my mama's face about how she's cut off. She doesn't have no connection. She's some kind of lesser person because somebody else said, I want to take this child and love her and raise her as our child, our daughter, and we love her and honor and she honors us back. Man, I will pop you in the mouth. Are you fucking kidding me? This is nuts. This is nuts. What about all those people who don't know? They're not adopted, but they don't know because some son of a bitch was holding a secret. And, oh, there are families like this. There are families like this where you go and go, well, what was great-grandpapa's name? And, no, everybody goes quiet. Oh, I don't know. Uh, we don't talk about him. you got to go become a fucking detective to find out about your own great-grandfather. Okay? There are people – there are lots of people that engage in this kind of behavior for all sorts of reasons. Crime. Mixed marriages, mixed racial marriages, conversions, often converting out of Judaism into something else by force or other means, hiding political reasons, meaning we had to flee that country because they were going to fucking kill us. So what the fuck if you can't find out because there's family secrecy? Does that mean you're cut off? Listen, two, three years ago, all the cats I knew and they some potent cats. I mean some high-standing motherfuckers. Men and women I respect, like Candelo Kimbisa, were out here and are still out there saying, no, no, come to me, and I'll try to help you get that spiritual connection with your ancestors. They might not be able to tell you what your great-great-grandfather's name was or what he did for a business, but they're talking about getting you hooked up. They're talking about giving you the 411 getting you that in the old days, if we needed information, we could pick up a phone and call 411. We didn't have to have apps. That okay, You could just dial the number. Okay, you know, like 911 is for the – okay, so you could dial for – and any, anyway, anyway. The point is these, these men and women were out there, and a lot of them are still out there, trying to give you a connection back to your spiritual ancestors, whoever they might be. Without judgment, without saying, oh, well, you came to me and uh, you just have uh, you just have this, uh, uh, you know, these people. And they're not, you know, oh, they're terrible because they're all Chinese and Chinese people suck. No, they weren't doing that. They weren't saying, oh, well, they're Vietnamese and Vietnamese people suck because I'm Japanese and I don't like China. No, they weren't doing that. They were just, they were just, they were just being honest. But as that, what I see now is there's not as many of them. I mean, there's still those big high-standing people who I still respect, like, again, Candelo Cambisa, are still offering this service, but less it seems like, and you would have to ask Candelo about this, it seems like there aren't quite as many people interested in it anymore. And what people are more interested in is they know who their mama, their daddy, and their grandparents were, and that's the great ancestors. And that's what makes them better or worse than you or what have you, and they're going to stick by that. And they're not interested in the rest of that, okay? Because they've, they've supplanted knowledge 
with certainty. Knowledge with certainty. We haven't talked about this for a while on the show, although we have talked about it quite a bit in the past. So some of our newer listeners may not know exactly how the good professor feels about the knowledge versus certainty debate. Oh, brother, have I got a lot to say about knowledge versus certainty. Knowledge is knowledge. Okay? Knowledge is provable. Knowledge is reproducible. Knowledge is factual. Certainty is just certainty. Cer- it's just certainty, right? Certainty is where you say, um, I know that 97% of pretty much all the global meteorological scientists and others in the world have said that there's a, a global weather change going on. Okay, There's an alteration in the global weather patterns, but I'm certain that's not true. I'm just certain it's not true. <laughs> and I'm just going to stick with that. I'm just going to stick with that, right? You can bring me fact after fact after fact, evidence after evidence after evidence. And I'm just going to ask. What it is is willful ignorance. It's willful ignorance. So certainty, and the problem is, what's the problem? The problem is that we love people who speak with certainty. We're drawn to them. We're drawn to them as leaders, as spiritual workers, as men and women of faith, as authors, as media personalities, as friends. We like, as general, not everybody, but in general, we like people who speak with certainty, who speak, you know, they know what they're saying. It's true. It calms us down. You know, none of us want the captain of the boat or the ship, or God forbid, the airplane, to come on and say things with a tone of, you know, uncertainty. Well, ladies and gentlemen, maybe we'll get out of this alive. I'm just not sure. Who can tell? Oh, no, 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 no. No, what we want is the captain to come on that fucking mic and go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the airplane's just been uh, cloven in two by lightning, uh, but we're going to be landing uh, here uh, below us somewhere. Uh, here in a few moments, we're on the radio right now. We're going to have you into an airport here in just a few minutes. Get the luggage off. Everything's going to be fine. Please stay in your seats and keep your seatbelts fastened. Thank you. Okay, that we want certainty. It's going to be fine. The plane's going to be landing. I'm going to have my luggage. That's how small-minded we can be sometimes. In the midst of a disaster, we, as organisms, will actually sit there and go, what about my luggage? Okay. Again, not all of us, not all the time, not every single person. I mean, me, I give a fuck. I don't give a shit. I fuck the luggage. I want to get alive. I want to get out of this alive. Like if the cost of me getting out of this alive is the luggage is burnt, I'll burn it. Fuck it. Have the stewardess bring me my luggage and I'll fucking set it on fire here. Normally I wouldn't do that inside an enclosed pressurized metal tube, but if that's what it takes, and, of course, I'd be listening to someone who spoke with certainty telling me that that's what it took. So we want a certainty. We want certainty. We like certainty. But certainty cannot exist without knowledge. And when it does, <laughs> we got trouble. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, what it has to do is this. You can be certain. You can be certain that your mother is your ancestor. 100%. There's no problem. That's mom. There you go. 
I mean, that's that. I mean, the, the quality and level of lies that have to be built up for your mother to not be your mother are manifold and complex. I mean, it's been done to people, and people have found out that actually their aunt was their mother or you know, their, their sister was their mom or whatever. You know, terrible, terrible things. But in general, you know that your mom's your mom, okay? That's the most certain thing in terms of an ancestral experience. Your mother is your ancestor. Then, about equal, but not completely, is your dad. All right? You're pretty sure your dad's your dad. You know, you're generally sure of that. Again, maybe not, but that's mom's private business. You know what I'm saying? And there may be some story you and dad don't know about. Okay? But in general, pretty much, you know, again, not as certain as mom. Uh, but particularly if there were people in the room when you were born, you know, uh, you know, that mom's hundred percent dad, let's call dad 95%. Okay. There's dad 95%. All right. Now each one of those figures is then magnified through a bit of mathematics that my wife can explain. And I can't because math and me are enemies. So if you'd like to understand how, uh, you write a little piece of mathematics, uh, so that you say, mom is 100% certain, dad is 95% certain, therefore, maternal grandmother is 100% certain, but maternal grandfather is less certain to the same degree that father was less certain, magnified by each iteration of generation. Bug, bug my wife. Okay, bug my wife. She's in the chat room, Christy XP. Okay, so you can bug her about how that works mathematically. But again, it's going to get less certain as we go along. So now we grandfather or great great grandfather or great 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 grandfather or great 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 grandfather. Now it starts to get mystifying. In fact, great 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 grandmother starts to get mystifying. Now we're down to records, dim memories, etc. It gets harder to have certainty. So, of course, people are going to start talking about their ancestors being only the last three or four generations. They're certain of them. Now, here's the next problem I have with all this generational talk. What I was told, and maybe it's wrong, if you want to find out about this, you should contact Candelo Cambisa. And you can contact him. He'll do work, and he'll be happy to teach you, do work for you. He's an excellent worker and an excellent individual, a fine man. But what I was taught was that of these ancestors, many of them are still are still behaving as they behaved in life, meaning death didn't alter them. They weren't like, you know, a, a flagrant racist in life, and then the minute they died, they went, oh, wait, what the fuck? They didn't, you know, whatever. They didn't like a taste of whiskey in life, and then when they died, they went, oh, wait, no, no, that was terrible. Okay? So suddenly, they're the same guy. Then I was taught or told or explained other, other people, other people, after they died, became, they changed. They were, quote, elevated, or they became different individuals, or, you know, they became, you know, more in tune more wise, more synced up with what was going on in the universe. So 
if that is true, and I'm not saying it's not true, I'm saying if that's true, because I don't fucking know, I'm a Jew. Afterlife exegesis is not our fucking thing. All right? You may think it is, because afterlife exegesis is totally like a Christian thing. Like, Christians are way caught up in afterlife exegesis. Like, afterlife exegesis is, like, really fucking important in Christianity. Like, some might even say it's so important that Christianity couldn't exist without it. I wouldn't say that, but some people might say that. But Jews, afterlife exegesis, not really our, you know, oh, don't get me wrong, everybody has an opinion, but we've all got opinions about what restaurant we want to eat at, too. And look how that fucking lines up. If you've ever gone out to eat with all of us, uh we'll take food from other places to other restaurants. Like, literally, we will stop at a restaurant, get what we want to eat, and then take it into a third, further restaurant because we want to eat with our buds. We want to eat with our friends and loved ones and, uh, you know, professional partners and coworkers and all that shit. So we'll just stop it. So if you're looking at the Jews for an afterlife exegesis, you really need to look elsewhere. Don't get me wrong. Individual Jews will tell you all sorts of things. And God help you if you wander off into a pack of Kabbalists because you probably won't even understand what the fuck they're trying to, you know, lay out to you. But I don't know. That's the reason I'm just repeating what I was told. All right? So don't don't come up with this. Well, Professor Porterfield said. No, Professor Porterfield repeated is the accurate sentence here, baby. All right? So now some of these people are, let us say, enlightened, quote, elevated. Okay? And some aren't. They're still just regular old Joe whoever, like he was on the day he died. You know, same thing. Whatever. All right? Now I've got people that I'm watching on social media and in real life getting up in each other's faces, yelling, screaming, turning red in the jowls, eyes popping, spit flying, teeth bared, hands clenched, muscles tightened, yelling at each other because... Their ancestors told them so-and-so, and therefore that's the goddamn holy fucking truth, and you need to back the fuck off if you disagree, because my ancestors are right, and fuck your ancestors. Except they don't say my elevated ancestors. I've never seen that. Not when they're fighting. Not when they're fighting. When they're fighting and they're yelling, they're just talking about ancestors. My ancestors said. Well, now, wait a minute. What if your ancestor said, and your ancestor ain't one of them elevated ancestors? What if he's still just like, you know, regular old, you know, Carl Smith, who was a, a bit of a drunk and had occasionally laid hands on his partner in a, in a nasty way and was a racist, as an example, or was a homophobic cocksucker, or which is kind of a weird sentence, isn't it? Or was a whatever, okay, and now he's telling you, Aren't, aren't you just going on? See, this is why we need Candelo on the show. We're going to have to come back to this topic. Maybe we'll come back to this topic next week, and we'll actually have Candelo on as a guest. Maybe we'll get a panel together. Maybe we'll get Candelo and Miss Aida and a couple of three other people, who, and maybe we'll have a panel. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Because these are – inquiring minds want to know, not just fucking mine, okay? Not just fucking mine. Okay, about this issue. What if it's not an elevated ancestor who's telling you to go out and do shit? Okay, 
We got mail this week. Listen, I ain't playing. We got mail this fucking week from someone who would rather stay anonymous. Okay? We're just going to call them the letter the letter J. Okay? And, and this person said to us that they had had some information given to them. Okay? That some work that they were being that they were doing, having done for them, uh, was being blocked by a couple of their ancestors. Okay, and they were like, they they asked, they wrote in and said, "How do I reconcile that? What do I do with that? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know which ancestor it was, uh, but why are these ancestors trying to get in my way and trying to stop this work either they were doing or that was doing for them? Okay." Why are they trying to stop me? All right. And so I, I said I'd bring it up on the show because I didn't have an answer. Because, see, it starts – see, here's the problem, and I've said this before. The way people have started talking about ancestors is the way when I was young, growing up in, like, deep-ass fucking Protestant territory, Texas, all right, Baptist, Church of Christ, etc., was the way people talked about God. It's God's will. It's God's will. If something went wrong, it's God's will. If this thing happened to you and you didn't get what you you worked hard and then they didn't, it's God's will. God knows best. God's listen, man. I I don't think I don't like that kind of talk because that's like kind of suspicious to me. Like why? Why? Will it all turn out best for the in the end? Well, it'll certainly all turned out best in the end if I give up on it, stop being upset about it, don't want that thing anymore. Yeah, it's totally going to turn out for the best. But what if I don't? So, see, we need answers. We need to know why. Why would your general – see, because we are the descendants. Now, I have one last thing to say about this, and then we're going to go on with the rest of the show. And the last thing I have to say about this is this. What the fuck about the descendants? What the fuck about the descendants? I hear people talk all the time about the ancestors, those who came before. What about those who have come after? I have to say something right here and right now. And uh, I'm going to burn your flag. I'm going to burn your flag. You can keep your hat. And you can keep your wig. I'm going to burn your flag. If you are involved in a you are involved in a magical practice, and that spiritual or magical practice, let me go further. If you are involved in an artistic practice, one of the arts, if you are involved in an academic process. And that piece of academia, though that artistic thing, that magic or that spirituality comes from a group of people, genetic, cultural group of people. Who who the fuck ever it is, I don't care. The Scottish, the Irish, the Maasai, okay, the Watusi. I'm not being Smarmy or funny about that. There's there are people. There the Watusi are a people. Okay. Uh, the 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 Dene, uh, 
the 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 Mongols, the Chinese, I don't care. It comes from those people. And you and you publicly and even privately honor the quote ancestors of that genetic or cultural group. You publicly honor and privately honor the ancestors of that genetic and or cultural group. But you don't have the time a fucking day for the living descendants of that cultural or genetic group, please get the fuck away from me. Seriously, stay the fuck away from me. Stay the way away from my fucking babies. Stay the fuck away from my fucking grandbabies. Stay the fuck away. If you don't have honor in your actions, in your dealings, in your words, in your mouth, in your thoughts, in your heart, in your spirit, for the living descendants of the genetic and or cultural group of ancestors that you pay homage and honor to, what the fuck good are you? What the fuck good are you tired of being caught in this moment in fucking history when all I hear out of people's mouths is unborn descent, the unborn, the unborn, the unborn, the unborn, the unborn, and the ancestors, the ancestors, the ancestors, the ancestors. Fuck it. The unborn ain't here today, okay? The unborn are not here yet today. The ancestors are dead and gone. Maybe they still speak and whisper and communicate to us through hidden and unseen means. Not for me to fucking say. But they're gone. What about the fucking living? What about the fucking living? You will go and pay homage to African ancestors and then disrespect living African descendants. You will go and pay homage to first tribe and native ancestors and then disrespect, make money off of, and not give a shit about native and first tribe living members. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. The list goes on and on. The list goes on into cultural groups. You will honor, you will honor the ancestors, the gay, lesbian trans and by ancestors but won't give a shit to help gay, lesbian, or trans uh, young people or living people that are going on with that. What about the fucking living? So there. That's that. What about the fucking living? Maybe if we spent today thinking a little bit about the people that are living in need now instead of worried about the dead who are long gone or or the the unborn and you ever notice we're not concerned about the circumstances of the unborn nobody's wandering around saying oh we got to fucking save these fucking animals from extinction because 
kids that aren't born yet will never be able to see them. No, we're only concerned about kids getting born. That's what seems to be the big concern in this fucking country. Let's make sure those kids get born. And then they can fucking go off and die of disease and starvation for all I give a crap. Fuck you. Fuck you. Let's take care of the living. Let's take care of the living. Because we're all going to go someday. We're all going to go someday. And today, I'm just me. But someday, I'll be an ancestor. And when I'm a deceased spiritual ancestor, you better watch out. Oh, you better watch the fuck out, because it's going to be the Now You Know show 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Me just ranting and raving off in the fucking spirit world. But it'll be okay. Because when I die, there'll be one more child to take my place.
the devil. Don't want to go by demon. Don't want to go by Satan. Don't want to die uneasy. Just let me go naturally. And when I die, and when I'm dead, dead and gone, there'll be In a world to carry on, to carry on, yeah. Oh yes, brother, this is the dancer here, and I just gotta say that I was blood, sweat, and tears when I die. And the winner of that, name it and claim it, the one who gets the hamantash. Oh, yeah, brother. We're looking at the list right now, checking it twice, making sure it's correct. And, brother, it looks like the winner was Gabriel Swain. Now, here's the professor. Thanks, man. (laughs) I appreciate it. Christ, he's going to do it for every song. Well, that was, in fact, blood, sweat, and tears for when when I die. And you know, one of the professor's favorite songs, because just like all of us here at the LMC Radio Network, it, it sends out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air! The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network, in the vanguard! The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Roof Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ali, Sundays 3 to 4.30, Candela's Corner with Candelo Cambisa and Michael Correll, Mondays 5 to 7, The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7, Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Dania, Wednesdays 6 to 7, The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at (laughs) luckymojo.com. Boys and girls, it is I, Count Goulash, here once again to talk to you. Oh, are you doing well? Are you doing fine? Good, good. I'm glad you're doing fine. That's excellent. Good, good, good. Because, because I want to take a few moments out from Planet of the Vampires. Yes, oh yes, Planet of the Vampires from 1965. One hour and 28 minutes. It was made in Italy, boys and girls. It's terrifying. It's, it's, it's like people in space, and they have spaceships, but they are vampires. Oh, yes. But I want to take a few moments out from Planet of the Vampires to talk to you about 
with 2017 Hoodoo Heritage Festival. Oh, oh, terrifying. Oh, yes, this is it's coming up. It's coming up Saturday and Sunday, May 13th and 14th this year, 2017. For the 10th consecutive year, boys and girls, the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church is sponsoring their annual Hoodoo Heritage Festival in Forestville, California. Oh, yes. Come out. Come to Forestville. Come now and see presenters such as Catherine Ironwood, Ora LaForest, Charles Bogan, Beverly Smith, Miss Aida, Professor Porterfield, and other special guests for classes, hands-on workshops, and panel discussions in African-American folk magic, root work, and hoodoo. These classes will teach you practical tricks and tips to take your work to a new level of confidence and knowledge. In addition to spellcasting, they will also showcase the mystery and magic of worldwide folk religions. So make your travel plans now to get to Forestville, California for the 10th annual unique two-day festival of Hoodoo Heritage, African-American folk magic, and spiritual spellcasting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You can find out more information at hoodooheritagefestival.com. And I hope you'll be there, because this year I will be there, the one, the only Count Goulash, to talk to you. I will sign anything you want, 8 by 10 glossies, anything like that. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls. And now let's get back to the thrilling end of The Vampires from 1965, starring Barry Sullivan, Norma Bengal, and, uh, and, and, and Angela Ardona. Okay, well, uh, we're not actually, we don't actually have Planet of the Vampires. I wish we did. It's a really cool movie. It's actually the movie that uh, helped inspire uh, the uh, original movie uh, Alien uh, was actually uh, based off of uh, Planet of the Vampires. Uh, so thank you, Count Goulash, and thank you, Troll Talhead, for that update of our shows each and every week. Coming up soon, we may have a show returning to us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, a show that you may have listened to in the past and may have missed may be coming back. So stay tuned for that information. Negotiations are underway. Up next, we're going to be talking about what we do this week. We're going to be talking about talismans, charms. You know, you should listen up, because this could be magic. Could this be magic?
I got the mic. He can't get it. All right. So, Troll Towelhead gets a Hamantaschen for Could This Be Magic? That is the name of the song. And I refuse to cut a Hamantaschen in half. I just won't do it. So he gets a whole Hamantaschen. No one, <clears throat> no one gets a Hamantaschen for the group. It's not the dubs. I know it sounds like the dubs, and here's the reason it sounds like the dubs. That was Otis Williams and his charms. Otis Williams and his charms. Get it? Charms, talismans, it could be magic. See how it all worked together? It it was a thing that – talismans and charms. In Hoodoo, we see – and Conjure and Root Work, we see the use of talismans, charms, amulets, special pieces, and lucky pieces. And these are generally small objects that are made, they're often specially crafted, carried, or worn, or kept on an individual to aid in their luck, or to bring about uh, a change in a condition, or to bring about a certain condition, uh, such as uh, oh, luck in gambling, or uh, gambling winning, or uh, uh, to be alluring to a sexual partner, or to members of your gender or opposite gender, or to remove an unwanted condition, uh, or for protection from a variety of things. Other individuals, uh, workers, uh, evil spirits, negative conditions, etc. Now, talismans are ancient and common to most cultures. Uh, You often see that they are uh, inscribed with various kinds of writing or magical alphabets and various images. These may include prayers or holy in Hoodoo, Rootwork and Conjure, one of the most popular sets of talismans you will find are seals that are found in the famous 6th and 7th book of Moses, or even the Seal of Solomon himself. Of course, there are also forms that you see that come out of a number of different things, including uh, many different religious bases, including uh, oh. Uh, the the uh, form of Christ, the full body of Christ, the full body of Mary, the hand of Miriam, etc. Many different religious figures represented and their power called upon. <clears throat> now these talismans, charms, or lucky pieces can be made, they can be crafted to help protect the bearer or to bring something to them such as luck. Often, you will find as a lucky piece um, such things as coins, small packets, including, but not limited to, natural curios, uh, such as, uh, or zoological, mineral curios, or botanical curios, including, of course, the famous rabbit's foot, which we talked about on the show not too long ago, buckeye nuts, shells, um, and some of these will have had certain actions done to them. They will have uh, things done to them. Uh, not always, but sometimes, as an example, uh, the rabbit's foot may have uh, a chain attached to it. Uh, 
a, a symbol or sign or sigil may be carved into various things. When we talk about these, often people only think of mass-produced or individually produced, very fancy, very expensive items, charms that are made of silver or gold, pieces of jewelry, and often they are simply seen uh, as pieces of jewelry uh, that carry a magical power to them. However, often you will find that a talisman or magical charm takes the form, as I just said, of something out of nature. So let's talk about a few of the things that are carried out of nature. Let's talk about a few botanical things. Uh, a John the Conqueror root is carried by men to aid in their nature, as well as to give them supposed powers of seduction uh, over women or over other men, I suppose, if they were a homosexual. And so here's a root, just a little dried root. People often will look for a bigger one. They want a big one. They want a very pretty one. But supposedly even a small, ugly one works. And why not? Some of us are small and some of us are ugly. And we still do all sorts of things in life. Uh, also, the John the Conqueror route helps in gambling. So, But then what about the ladies? Well, there's the Queen Elizabeth route. Queen Elizabeth route helps for female power and love luck. Uh, a whole nutmeg. A lucky hand route, which, by the way, is the favorite bit of hoodoo for my grandsons. My grandsons adore lucky hand roots. It's probably one of the few things that they have some conception about that their Zadie does, and they like to come into my room when I'm working and run around behind me uh, saying, uh, lucky hand root, lucky hand root, lucky hand root. And then we'll take a lucky hand root out, and they'll look at it, and they'll go, ooh, and ah. And they have an interesting point. These two four-year-olds have an interesting point, which might surprise you that a four-year-old could give us some kind of insight uh, into what we're doing. Uh, but a four-year-old can give us some sort of insight into what we're doing because they – talk about when they see a, a Hamsa hand or when they see a hand of Miriam, whatever you want to call it, they point at it and they go, lucky hand root, lucky hand root. When they see their, their booby, their grandmother's Hamsa, they say lucky hand root. So they already are starting to understand the symbology of an open hand as having power, as being talismanic. Angelica root is often carried for protection of the angels, from the angels, and of course, again, one of the professor's favorites, master root, is also another one. We already discussed the rabbit's foot. What about the notorious black cat bone? Well, the black cat bone, certainly. I mean, certainly that's a talismanic. There's something for you right there of song, story, and whispered legend. But also, the alligator foot, or paw, is used and carried for money drawing. What about minerals? What about the lodestone, 
Well, a single lodestone is carried for money drawing, a matched pair for love drawing, pyrite, fool's gold, for money luck. There's also other things that are carried that are talismanic that we see. What about the Catholic rosary? Oh, yes, the rosary, prayer beads, malas, worry beads, fertility beads, often worn around a woman's waist. And, of course, the, the, the famous bright blue uh, uh, beads for aid against the evil eye. All of those are talismanic. All of those are carried as charms. But in hoodoo, one of the things you will often see are coins. Now, coins here in the United States have a long and varied history. And, of course, there are you know, many numismatists who could speak better on the subject of coins than, than little old Professor Porterfield can. But everyday coins have come to be associated with luck and to be talismanic and to be protective and to bring all sorts of wonderful things. And they come in a number of different ways. The first is a coin that you encounter that is somehow lucky, meaning you encountered this coin in an unusual fashion. It came to you in an unusual way, in change you were given. You won it in gambling, in a gambling pot. You found it on the ground, uh, or you found it in an unusual place, or someone gave it to you at an auspicious moment. This is an auspicious coin. This coin has come to you under auspicious circumstances, and often it may be an unusual coin itself. It might be a, a wheat penny. It might be a half dollar. It might be a Sacagawea coin, etc. So they all stand out. You know they're lucky. You know you're supposed to take them. You know that they've been sent to you because they've come to you again in auspicious circumstances. But also, there are other things to look for in coins, such as the birth year. A birth year coin is particularly good uh, for you. Also, you can join it with two birth year coins for uh, a love spell or to aid in marriage. So in other words, one birth year, your birth year, and then your partner's birth year, or the person you wish to be your partner's birth year. Um, coins that people give you in love, people that your mate give you, are very good for bringing prosperity, as well as to continue to get money from that person if you keep those coins. If you have a potential lover and they give you coins, you can keep those coins to use for love spells. Uh, you can get someone to fix them and prepare them for you for that. And then also certain denominations of coinage are highly regarded for a number of different reasons. So we have the famous uh, quote-unquote mercury or silver dime, the uh, Indian head penny, Indian head nickel, etc. But it's not limited merely to silver money, to coinage. What do we talk about at the top of the show? $2 bill. $2 bill is seen to be talismanic, lucky, to carry and keep a talisman. Even a regular dollar. The professor himself keeps a regular dollar. Now, I will tell you that that regular dollar, I eventually traded out once I was able to find a silver what they call a silver dollar, gold silver standard dollar, and then later a gold standard dollar. They have certain kinds of 
things in their designs that you can hold to the light and see to replace it. But it starts as just a regular dollar, a regular dollar. The professor always keeps us a regular dollar that I have dressed and blessed, and I dress it with money stay with me oil and a van man, and I fold it up, and I fold it towards me, and I keep that one dollar. I name it. This is my bottom dollar. My bottom dollar. We've all heard of the bottom dollar. This is my bottom dollar. And I keep it in my wallet away from the rest of my money, hidden, if you will, so that I will never be out of money because I always have my bottom dollar. Eventually, I did replace it with silver certificate dollar and then later a gold certificate, you know, to show that it was a, a little more special. Also, it made my bottom dollar worth a hell of a lot more. But folding money, as we say, is also useful. So there are a variety of charms that we see. Common jewelry even can be taken and made into a charm. And there are many things that look like common jewelry that aren't. They're actually talismans and charms. You have Solomonic and Mosaic amulets. Again, out of the Key of Solomon, the 6th and 7th books of Moses, the 8th, ninth, and 10th book of Moses, that have charms drawn upon them. They have a variety of sigils and symbols on them, uh, certain pointed numbered stars, five-pointed stars, six-pointed, seven-pointed, eight-pointed, etc. And they have little things written into them, bits of Latin, bits of Hebrew, prayers, portions of biblical text. In fact, I and my wife both wear uh, two pieces, one piece each, of a severed charm, if you will. It's a Jewish charm that has text on it. it has in This one that we have has two hearts on it. And then it's broken into two pieces. She has one piece and I have the other. So that, you know, we're always together. And it has on it Hebrew text and English text that say, you know, when my beloved and I are uh, apart, may we, you know, always be together. So there you are. That's common jewelry. You see lots of people with them. You see lots of Jewish men who wear, and Jewish women who wear the Hebrew letter Chai, which also relates to the number 18, for life. It's life, the symbol of life. So there is common jewelry that is worn as talismanic or charm-based. So let's take a look at this again. Where do these charms come from, these talismans come from? They come from culture. They come out of religions. They come out of places within the culture, within the people. They come from nature, botanical, zoological, mineral. They come from monetary. They come from coins. They come from folding money. They come to protect us, to bring us luck, to drive away evil forces, to give us power. And many of them are activated. They are brought about. They're brought to life. They are ritually smoked or dressed with oil or a powder. They have breath blown on them. They are prayed over. They have oils and powders added to them. And these oils and powders, money, love, to help us in court, to bless us, to protect us. And I would say that generally one of the largest segments of talismans and charms you find are talismans and charms that are in some way, for some cause, protective. They protect. 
So I hope this week you'll take a little more time to go out and look into this huge, it's a huge world, a fascinating world. Oh, also someone asked uh, Troll Talhead, and yes, Lachayim, yes, indeed, uh, has that same root, to life, to life. So I hope you will take a little time this week and go out and look up, study, think about talismans, charms, amulets, lucky pieces, and particularly lucky pieces. I want you to really think about that. What what are these things we carry? Because many of us do. Even the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, carried with him a number of things that he felt were lucky. Why do we do it? How do we pick it up? Where did it come from? We want to thank the good people at the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers. That's readersandrootworkers.org, AIR, uh, for the help and inclusion of information in tonight's show. We hope you'll go over to readersandrootworkers.org and give them a look. Up next, well, up next, we're going to get near the end of the show. But before we do that, I hope that you all will come spend just a little bit of time in the professor's soul kitchen.
talking about verbena. That's right, verbena. Verbena. My, my. What a plant. What a plant. You know, it's been long associated with the divine and supernatural forces. It was called the Tears of Isis in ancient Egypt, later called Hera's Tears. In ancient Greece, it was dedicated to Eos Ergina. In the early Christian era, folk tradition stated that it was used to staunch Jesus's wounds after his removal from the cross. And subsequently, it has been called holy herb or devil's bane. It's also been used extensively in folk medicine, often, almost always, as an herbal tea. The first appearance that we can cite of that is in 1652, when Nicholas Culpepper's The English Physician discusses its use. It helps promote a lactation uh, and may possibly have a sex steroid analog. Um, it has been listed as one of 38 plants used to prepare prepare Bach flower remedies, a kind of alternative medicine promoting uh, uh, the health. And, however, uh, we should say that the United Kingdom Cancer Research has said that there is no scientific evidence to prove that flower remedies can control, cure, or prevent uh, cancer. So, you know, you just need to think about that. However, it has been used in Italy as part of anti-strega, anti-witchcraft charms, and uh, we see it used uh, in a variety of ways. While common vervain, uh, verbena is not native to North America, it has been introduced there, and for example, the Pawnee have adopted it. Uh, as a aid to dream divination. In hoodoo, it is primarily used for love and protection. And it is considered to be uh, helpful to certain other conditions. So what are a few ways you can use it? Well, you can use it to break a jinx. An unjinxing mojo it can be fed by smoking it in the fumes of verbena, sandalwood, and agrimony that is being burnt on charcoal. Afterwards, you would dress it with uncrossing oil. A packet of verbena worn on the body is said to help those suffering from fever or poisoning as a result of a curse. 
So there you have an example of verbena being used as a charm. It can be used against evil. A nine-herb blend of verbena, yarrow, wood betoni, elecampe, rue, mugwort, celandine, nettle, and white clover is an old European productive, protective tea used as a shielding bath against witchcraft. So we see that verbena is used a number of times against witchcraft. It is also said that if you bathe children in verbena tea and dress their heads with King Solomon wisdom oil, they will learn their lessons in school faster. And so it can be used to help school children. It can be used to draw love, to attract a new partner, you would burn verbena in come-to-me incense. And if you wash your hands with verbena tea and touch nothing else at all until you touch the one you want, he or she will respond with love. And then finally, you could also be used for a happy marriage. If you and your mate, your partner, your spouse, have a fight, Keep a jar of verbena mixed with peaceful home sachet powder behind your wedding pictures. And so there you go. That's a number of different things that can be used with verbena. We had a question from Troll Talhead in the uh, chat room where he says, since it's often used against witchcraft, doesn't that make it anti-hoodoo? Well, no. We will have to have a show. We'll have to have a Now You Know show pontification where we talk about the usage of the word witchcraft and witching and witches in hoodoo, root work and conjure in particular. Until then, we will like to say that we want to thank we very, very, very much want to thank Miss Catherine Ironwood for the use and inclusion of materials from her excellent book, Hoodoo, Herb, and Root Magic, A Materia Magica of African American Conjure, in the show each and every week. And uh, if you don't have that book, you really need to go and get that book. Seriously, if you are doing some hoodoo and some conjuring, some root work, and you want a good book to start with or a good book to read, by all means, go and get that book. It is an excellent book. You will be thankful that you did. Well, there we are, folks. We've come to the end of another show, and it all wrapped up together. Oh, yeah, you didn't think it was gonna, but it did. The whole thing with the $2 bills and the ancestors and the charms and verbena all kind of dovetailed nicely together. And we were all very happy to have it happen here on the Now You Know Show, don't you know? And, you know, it just takes a little effort to make it all good that way. Well, folks, up next week we'll have a new show. We will not actually have a panel in with Candela Canvisa and others because our good friend and brother Candela Canvisa is going to be in Cuba. So he's going to be having a fine time there. Hopefully he'll be able to get there without having his plane hit. I blame Susan Barnes. Go and ask her. She'll tell you what's up. I won't I won't get near that woman in a plane. Oh, no. No, 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 no. 
So in the meantime, I hope this week you'll go out, read up, learn, maybe buy, get some, grow some, smell some, hold some, touch some, taste some verbena. I hope you'll go out and read more. A huge, huge, huge library of sources to consult about talismans, charms, lucky pieces, and special pieces. Also call it a specie piece. A specie piece, in case you've never heard that before. But in the meantime, I'm going to go and find tacos. That's right. I'm going to go and find tacos. Not from Miss Loretta. She didn't bring any tacos in. She didn't bring anything in today. Say, I got a problem with this. I got to make a complaint to Miss Aida sending these books. It means she cooks everything at home to test it to see if it's right for right. It means Count Goulash gets a nice dinner, but we get nothing. Normally she brings this stuff in. We've got it over there in the, you know, I won't say green room. We're not fancy enough to have a green room. We've just got an employee lounge. It's okay. I mean, it's a nice place. we got a water cooler in there, radio, pinball machine. It's all right. We play cards in there. Don't play cards with Patchy Fog. Let me just put that out to the world right now. Don't play cards with Patchy Fog. It's like playing cards with a guy named Pops. You're going to lose. Well, folks, that's it. But until it's over, oh, until it's over, it's not done, and it's not the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And don't fight the food west. Come on down to Dallas, drink call the kitty. Coming through the territory in Kansas City. And Kansas City, St. Louis. And St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way for the doing well.